0: Good morning. So glad you all are here. It's such an encouragement to have you. And I'm um, just excited to be in God's Word. God's, every word of God's Word is true and it is helpful and it is necessary for our hearts. So thanks for being here this morning. Let's pray. God, you are good and you are faithful when we are faithless. God, we come in your righteousness, clothed in your righteousness. God, it is your kindness that has led us to repentance, and we rejoice in your good gift. Lord, I pray that you would take us to the cross again this morning. Remind us again of the the wickedness that we once were, the rebels we once were, running from you, running from the light, hating the light, loving darkness. But because of your great love for us, you sent Jesus to die in our place, to be risen from the dead in order that we might love you. We might have a heart to desire you and to love you and to follow after you and obey you. You are kind to us. You are kind when we don't deserve it. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. We pray that you would impress upon our hearts again this morning, deeper and harder, the great news of the gospel. And Lord, may that overflow to those we come in contact with today, that they might, too, know the great grace of God. Lord, as we study this morning, these are your words, God. I am simply a vessel. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would do his mighty work in my heart, even today, as, I, um, as you have in these last days of preparation, and continue on this morning. And I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, to my dear sisters, bring them exactly what it is that they need. God, we need you desperately. We need your word. Thank you for giving it to us that we might know you. So we come under it, Lord. Pray that all preconceived ideas, but Lord, I pray that this morning we would leave with hope. We would leave um, not discouraged women by what we don't do or what we should do and we haven't, but God, that we would be encouraged and we have great hope because you have died and you have risen and you've covered sin. And we look forward, and we know that we have the, um, we have all that we need for life and godliness. In our homes, in our hearts, I pray that you would do your work in us, and we come joyfully and earnestly and excited to hear what you have for us this morning. Again, thank you for your word. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. So let's turn our notebooks over. I didn't bring mine up, but um. <clears throat> yeah. So we're going to begin every week like we do um, with the disciplines, and I know this time of the year we are on that home stretch, Um, and it's easy that maybe we've zoned out. We've heard this every single week at Wellspring, but I want you to listen this morning um, because I love how the purpose connects all the disciplines together, Um, so we're going to talk about those disciplines as we go through our purpose this morning. So we're going to start, the Wellspring purpose is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church. So let's just stop right there. That's you and that's me. We can be humbled right there by God's grace, right? That he is a God who would be pleased to place us in a body of believers with elders who want to equip and encourage the women in that body. God is placed in the hearts of the, of the elders here to equip and encourage us as women who are um, in the body of Christ, we're well cared for by our elders. And it's been so encouraging, hasn't it, um, to hear, if you remember back in Acts, how those elders were chosen um, by the Holy Spirit and how they were called to guard against themselves, right, their own hearts, and how they are so intent in shepherding the sheep and to protecting that flock that they all know belongs, not to them, not to the elders. They understand that that body that flock belongs to Christ himself who has bought us as his own and so this is great cause to give thanks to him for his kindness to us for this good gift the Lord has appointed faithful men to lead us and to protect us and we want to make it easy for them to, to lead us right to shepherd us and so we begin with discipline one so now um, I'm sorry and so we, we do that by beginning in discipline one So now, what is it that they want us to be equipped and encouraged to do? The next little bit, to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God. So there it is, discipline one. The idea here is not to be so consumed with my own heart, off by myself, but to be diligent about bringing my heart before the Lord, our Savior, through daily meeting with him in his word. That's the only safe place to evaluate my heart, right, to examine it. The only place where I'll be transformed to be more like Christ, as I behold the greatness of and remember that throughout the day, of who He is and what He has accomplished on the cross. That's why discipline one is worth fighting for, and it's a battle to sit before the Lord. Right? It's our flesh will not um, just desire that. It's something we want to pursue. Um, And maybe you want to talk with somebody to um, help them to just look at your schedule and to manage the time and and maybe see where um, you can make changes to make that a priority for you. It's our highest possible priority. And so why do we shepherd our hearts toward Jesus with the word? So that we live out the gospel. That's the result of spending time with Jesus in his word. The gospel transforms us and consequently Changes how we live and how we think, how we act, how we respond, how we reserve, so that those in our home, first, that's discipline too, right? And then those at work and at school and wherever we are can see and hear the impact of the gospel and how it has changed us. And that's how our purpose concludes. So um, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. And I, want, I find that to be motivating. See, as the, if I shepherd my heart it's, and think that it's just about me or only as big as my little world and the places I go and maybe the people I know, I can maybe per- be content with a half-hearted pursuit of Christ. But when I remember that God has placed us in the body of Christ and we're all members of it and that God means for displaying the fullness of Christ is for us, by God's grace, to build one another up in faith we realize how serious it is for us to be diligent about our walk with Christ. When we are careless with Discipline 1 and Discipline 2, it impacts our church. And on your notebook, under the Purpose, we see the three disciplines, and they tell us how we go about fulfilling the Wellspring Purpose. We want to keep those in front of us, never forgetting them. That's why we talk about them every week here. We've spent several months in the heart, and now we're moving into the, the home, and we're going to finish up the year um, in the church. And this is where we continue today in our lesson on Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And by the time we're done today, <clears throat> I hope we're a little more convinced, if we're not already, that living out the gospel in our homes has to be built on discipline one, shepherding my own heart. So let's begin. Hmm. So it's a short verse, but it's packed full of truth and of warnings. Home is the place we are back on. So a short verse packed full of truth and warnings. And we're going to look at other scriptures that teach us about this as well. So home is the first place that we display all that the gospel has done in us, right? Because of his work in the cross, it's kind of like training ground with the most opportunity to display the gospel to those around us. So building this verse isn't referring to constructing a physical house, but caring for a household and causing it to flourish. Whereas a woman of of wisdom builds up her household, it says a woman of folly lives in such a way that her household is neglected. So a wise woman blesses those whom God has placed in her household. She will order her house with diligence, intentionally loving and doing good and not harm to those that live with her. She takes great pains to profit those in her home. I've seen so many of you and others in our church doing exactly that, and that is so encouraging to me. Even at this stage of my life where I'm nearly an empty nester, um, your uh, diligence in caring for your children and your husband is an encouragement to me. As I come along, our daughters in um, raising their babies, your example helps me to encourage them as well. So thank you. In contrast to the wise woman, the foolish woman tears down her home, even though she may do it inadvertently. She may be given to contention, to ungratefulness and bitterness, using her words as demolition tools and demolishing her home. It may be that she's just too busy and she neglects her home. The foolish woman will destroy even those things very precious to her. By God's grace, we are wise women because Christ has redeemed us. Placing our faith in Jesus, we now are seen as wise women. I think we'd all admit, though, there are times that we look more like a foolish woman because what is in my heart at any given time is what's going to come out of my mouth, right? Right? And so you and I are diligent to renew our minds with scripture rather than being more familiar with the voices of the world. And they are screaming continually at us, are they not? But I want to sit quiet before the Lord. I want to know him and his word and be a doer of his word. We build up our homes that way by his grace rather than demolishing and by demonstrating foolishness and destroying our homes and those who live in it. Ladies, let me just ask, is your schedule so hectic? that you don't have time to sit alone and be with the Lord, to be still before him? The world is yelling for our attention, even a lot of really good things that we do, but we must be quiet in order to hear the still voice of the Lord. He has died and risen to make that a reality for us, and we are more than conquerors. I had to ask because it's something in my own life in this last year or two. I've really had to examine and pull in on some things. This building up not only builds up our home, but our sisters, the ones sitting beside us today in our church. You see, and actually, um, even that builds up our country, right? As we are diligent to do what we are to do, um, and it affects our brothers and sisters, and it affects our church, the whole church, and the world, You see, the way we live our lives, as it says in Titus, is to be a demonstration of the jewel of the gospel of truth. Titus 2.10 says that so in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. I've learned so much from listening to Scott's sermons on Titus. It's so convincing and so encouraging, both. We might envision the foolish in regards of a home as a huge wrecking ball, swung from a crane into a home or building, and destroyed in an instant. The walls fall. Or perhaps in contrast, like a termite, slowly, little by little, damaging the structure of the home before the damage is even visible. Left unchecked, those little bugs will eat away an entire home. Do you see this can happen if we're not diligent to bring our hearts to God and his word? You see, the more our eyes are turned to Jesus, turn your eyes to Jesus, the more diligently you and I pursue in knowing him, the more we gaze on his character the more we desire him and the less we desire to sin. You see, if I look into the word and I see that God does not treat me as my sins deserve, as it says in Psalm one 10, I've been in his word, my sin is revealed there. And I learn that he is kind. He is full of love and mercy. He's quick to forgive. That compels me to love him and to pursue holiness even harder. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says that for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, I love this, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We're not our own. We now live for Christ. No woman wants to tear down her home. It's not something any woman wants, I don't believe, but so many women do. Because the aim is not to glorify God, but self And it's a residue of the old man that we must continue to battle. We are driven more by personal desire, personal gain, than God's glory when we tear down our homes. And if we're not intentional to build up our homes, it will fall. And we know it doesn't happen. just doesn't happen, right? We just naturally desire personal gain. God's glory, then, is a battle we must fight for against the sin of selfishness or impatience. So that when someone in your home says or does something contrary to your desire or plan, we'll respond in a way that brings glory to God. We display His kindness when we respond in a loving manner. And we display His patience when we are patient with another. So we must be preparing for and aware of our hearts so that what comes out of our mouth will be good. And it will be from what is stored up in our hearts because we've purposed to know Christ and his character. Through our attitudes and our words and our behavior, we have the power to bless and to build up our words and the lives of those around us. We also have the power to tear down and destroy. So let's begin to see this in scripture. So Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and we want to be sure we understand what a proverb is. A proverb is usually a short saying which gives insight onto life and human behavior, but it cannot be interpreted as prophecy or promise or absolute doctrine. And here's an example why. Proverbs 16 7 on your outline. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Well that's true generally speaking. However, we know that Jesus' ways were always pleasing to the God, the Father. But his enemies were not at peace with him. That doesn't mean the proverb is wrong. It just means that it's not a promise or an absolute doctrine. So let's turn to Proverbs twelve eighteen, and there's a lot of verses here. Do what you feel best um, to do in keeping it up. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. <clears throat> Here we see the power of that tongue. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs goes on, and we're going to see in a bit that um, it's very clear that a fool's only hope is for God, the all-wise God, to make him wise. Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom. And when God gives wisdom to a fool, that one is cured of his foolishness. His affections and desires and thinking and life is transformed. The foolish one is given a new heart and a new identity. Only God can change the hearts of men. What about the believer? Do you ever wonder like I did for so long until I understood the gospel better? I think I'm a believer, but when I read Proverbs, I look more like a fool. Well, understanding that my heart is changed by God, and now I'm in a mixed condition, we know this is describing a life characterized by foolishness, of one who has um, not been saved by God versus one who's been saved by God and is still battling that sin of foolishness. Does that make sense? And we find in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that although the message of the cross is foolishness to fools, to those who are perishing, it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Christ became for the believer wisdom from God. Proverbs also tells, Proverbs also says that we participate in pursuing and growing and obtaining wisdom. Turn to chapter 2 of of Proverbs, and here is a call to strenuous search for wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The chapter goes on to tell us the value of wisdom. So we learn again here that the wisdom comes from the Lord. We are now called wise because God has given us a new heart. But we remember that the power of sin has been broken and the penalty for sin has been paid by Christ on the cross. The presence of sin still remains in us. We have that residue in our hearts. Do you ever wonder or do you ever feel like as you are becoming more and more sinful as you grow closer to the Lord? That's because we're being made more aware of our sin against the holy God. As we learn about him and grow in love for him, in reality, God is purifying his beloved bride. We praise him for us, It for this. It is a gift from the Lord that we recognize our sin, that we might turn from it, and that we might confess it. So we don't want to be discouraged when we see our sin. We can thank God for showing it to us. So we, when we see fool in Proverbs, this, we're going to think two ways. We're going to think as we read, okay, is this one whose only hope is for God to give him a new heart, or... Is this one who knows God, but is acting foolishly at this moment? Is flesh ruling right now? In Galatians 5 is listed the characteristics of the one who's walking by the flesh and one who's walking by the Spirit. And we're talking about one characterized by one or another. One who is a fool will be characterized by deeds of the flesh as an unbeliever, but as believers of Jesus will display some of the deeds of those flesh, little bits here and there, but not characterized by them. I hope I understand that our lives should be more descriptive of the Holy Spirit. To be sure I'm clear, Um, again, Proverbs is not speaking to us as followers of Christ about our salvation. For sure not. We are no longer fools because of Christ's work. When you and I see ourselves in Proverbs, as we bring our hearts before God, laid bare before him, that's what we do every morning, and we see wisdom in our lives, we praise him for that. That is his kindness to us. And when we see foolishness, we look to God for help for grace in the gospel, for the power to turn from that foolishness and to walk in wisdom. And either way, we look to the Lord and we thank him. The wise woman, fully dependent on God and his word, builds up the prosperity of our household. We choose to be foolish women when we are trusting in our own understanding, being stubborn or obstinate. So wise women in Proverbs is number one in your outline. The descriptions of a wise woman, and these verses are written out for you. A wise woman is gracious, she's prudent, she's excellent, for her uh, worth is far above rubies. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. What makes this ordinary woman excellent? The fear of the Lord. The wise is often seen in two important ways. The first link on your outline is the woman. the wise woman listens well. She is teachable. There's an eagerness to receive instruction and learning, as well as rebuke and discipline, because a wise woman desires to please and honor the Lord, and she understands that if she's in sin, she wants to confess it. She wants to know that, that she might confess and turn from it, and know where she can bring herself in alignment with the Lord again. Does this describe you? I know it does a lot of you. I had a conversation with a woman on my way in this morning, and this is a description of her. A wise woman is in full pursuit um, to grow in her understanding and grasp the gospel better. This woman continues to saturate herself in gospel truths and realities and strives to know them more and more. She seeks to remember that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by (coughs) His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This wise woman has nothing to dread because she is drawn upon the cross of Christ. This woman who trusts in Jesus no longer comes to him in her own righteousness, of which she never had any. She comes in his righteousness. The deeper our understanding of our sin and the holiness of our God, the sweeter his mercy on the cross becomes. Said another way, the more bitter sin becomes, the sweeter love for Jesus becomes. You can follow along on your outline as I read the book of, from the book of Proverbs and the descriptions of a wise woman who listens and is teachable. A wise woman heeds instructions and doesn't neglect it. She loves the one who reproves her. We do not see our blind spots, do we? And so God gives us others in our lives to help us. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hand to be used in one another's lives, to fulfill purposes in their lives. Proverbs 10 and verse 8 and Proverbs 15 and 31, a wise woman receives commands and she listens to life-giving reproof. Unlike the babbling fool that will be ruined. A wise woman listens to counsel and accepts discipline. When she is taught, she becomes wiser still, and a wise woman also listens to wisdom. We see that a teachable spirit begins with a spirit of humility that recognizes that we know so little of God's word and we apply even less than what we do know. It's a spirit that recognizes we have so much sin residue in our hearts. A teachable spirit is descriptive of a woman who knows she needs to change and grow, and she's eager to do that. It might be, again, inviting someone to speak into your life. What do you see in my life that you think, I don't see? Please speak truth to me. The second blank on your outline is the wise woman speaks wisely. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 23. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. Jesus made the same point in Luke six forty five. The good man, out of the good treasure in his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And our wellspring verse is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Challenges will come. You and I will sin, and we will be sinned against. Trials will come. Even prosperity can be a test of what's in my heart. (coughs) We purpose to spend ourselves to be filled with the gospel of Christ so that what spills out of his gospel realities and truths and others are drawn to him as well. The prayer that Scott shared with us, a handout from the beginning of the year, has been helpful to pray um, and to keep my heart engaged with the Lord. I don't pray through it every day, but I do bring it out very often. In one of the paragraphs, one of the reads, I desire my heart and mind to be full of you because of what your word reveals to me about you. I long for you to spill out of me into my home and wherever you lead me today. All who come into contact with me today must interact with a woman whose heart has drawn near to you. Their best hope for salvation or for growth in the gospel will come from one who has searched for you in your word and gazed upon your son in the gospel. We are useful to the Lord as we submit ourselves to him through his word. Look at all the scripture says about our word, starting in verse I'm sorry, Proverbs ten nineteen on your outline. A wise woman restrains her lips. A wise woman isn't rash, but rather her tongue brings healing. (coughs) A wise woman's teaching is a fountain of life. It turns aside the snares of death. A wise woman's lips protects. A wise woman makes knowledge acceptable, and her lips spread knowledge. All of these verses show that to be wise, one must guard her heart well, so that what comes forth of her mouth is thoughtful and helpful protective, instructive, and winsome. We are all sinners living with sinners. The question then is, how will I respond? Will I build up or tear down? Will I respond in the light of the gospel? There are riches in our storehouse for this very moment. God has given us everything we need to respond rightly, to speak wisely, and to be intentional. We can't neglect the timing of our words as well. Right, if your husband or your roommate comes in after a long, hard day at work, it might not be the best time to have a serious conversation, right? Give them some time to decompress before you bring that before them. We can summarize one who is wise by how we listen and how we speak. So the platform has been set for our words, but Proverbs speak to many other ways we can tear down our homes. The next blank on your outline is the foolish woman in Proverbs. The foolish woman is sexually immoral. Proverbs has severe warnings against the sexually immoral woman. First we need to understand what that what sexual immorality is, right? Sounds like a funny question to ask. And yet in today's world, much of the world has seeped into the church, and the world we live in is rapidly changing. So biblically, God calls us to be pure. That means that we view others as brothers and sisters, um, seeking to speak and act and dress, even think in a way that does them good, that helps them see Christ in me and spurs them on to love God and to be pure. And we want to care for one another well. And the only relationship that's to go beyond that is if we are married, the relationship with that one man. And then in that context, sex is good. It's not immoral. It's pure and God-honoring, and it's a gift from him, but only in that context. But bringing sex or being sexually provocative or immodest in my dress, or as Jesus said, even thinking sinfully, sexually about another person, is immoral. But like any sin, sexual immorality is birthed in our heart. Even if you think you aren't behaving in a way that is sexually immoral, we still need to check our hearts so we can ask them questions. Where are my affections? Do I desire what I shouldn't? Am I content with what God has given me or hasn't given me? Am I conducting myself in a way that is loving, in my dress or conduct or speech? Those kinds of questions can help us identify if there are any roots of sexual immorality in our hearts. And we must guard our hearts and minds and being careful about what we watch and what we read. There's a lot of worldly views that penetrate our TV screens and movie theaters and New York bestsellers. It's nothing less than sexual immorality, even though maybe they add beautiful music and beautiful actors and actresses to make it look less vile. In guarding our hearts, it's about what we allow in and also about what we keep out. Ladies, we can't let this kind of entertainment entertain us. Don't be entertained by what Christ has died for. Keep evaluating what is before you for the sake of your heart and for the sake of Christ. The next link is Proverbs also warns against the idle woman. The foolish woman is idle. Proverbs warns against this all throughout Proverbs. Idleness tears down our homes. Here are some questions for a quick check. Whom do I serve? Am I a hectic sluggard, busy, 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 and never accomplishing the important? Do I neglect priorities that God has set for me? Or do I do what I want to do? Laziness or idleness also tears down, and it's characteristic of a foolish woman. It's rooted in self-love. It's a willingness to permit my other. I'm sorry, it's a willingness to permit myself not to do the things I know I should do. It's believing that good things are going to come to me, and I don't have to work for them. It's opting for what is comfortable for myself rather than what is best for others. Perhaps this can be seen in the discipline of children. <coughs> Raising children is hard work, and my eye must be on what is best for my child and not my own pleasure or comfort. So, when there's disobedience or training to take place, I can't sit back and let it slide because I'd rather be on the internet or talk to my friend or simply not be bothered right now. This is always, laziness is always self focused and self excusing. It's undisciplined and unmotivated. It expects more from others than we require of myself. Laziness demands good things without being willing to invest in them. All of these warnings are very serious, and the references for those are in um, your study there if you want to go on with those. We're not going to spend time this morning doing that, but we're going to focus on contentiousness today, to be ready to use our words to build up rather than to tear down. So the next blank is a contentious woman. The definition of contentious is to be given to angry debate, quarrelsome strife and discord. So let's look at the contentious woman in Proverbs 19.13. The contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. Proverbs 21.9 and 19. It's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. It's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. The word vexing is to provoke, to stir up. It might look like one who has to have the last word. Proverbs 27, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain, and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his hand. One of the most sobering examples of contentiousness in the word is seen in the Israelites during their wilderness wandering. The top of your next page. Let's turn to Exodus 17, 1-7. Exodus 17, then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim and there was not water for the people to drink. So right there, they have a need, they need water, but the problem is going to be in the response that they have. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Do you ever find yourself responding like that, grumbling and complaining? Grumbling and complaining are signs of contention. We tear down our homes and our relationships when our hearts are filled with discontent. Thankfulness, though, cultivated in our hearts, kills contentiousness. Thankfulness cultivated in our hearts kills contentiousness. Thinking on all that God has done for us as believers, what we truly deserve and what he's given us, and all that he gives us now to enjoy in the way of earthly blessings is a sure way to battle that sin. There is always something to be thankful for, for when you know Christ. He is always at work in our lives, in our circumstances, and it's always, always good. We can trust him. Maybe it doesn't feel like that always, but reminding myself of scripture or talking with a friend and having her encourage me with scripture reminds me of his goodness again. Well, God was gracious to his people. In spite of their sinful response, he provided their need. He provided water. But the passage goes on to give us a lesson God had for them. Jumping down to verse 7. He named the place Masa Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel And because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Mm -hmm. Well, we can sure learn from this, can't we? Number one, genuine need does not excuse a simple response. Contentiousness breeds more sin. Grumbling and fear and accusation, one sin leads to another. Sin usually travels with companion. Complaining fails to acknowledge what is true about God and his faithfulness. Ouch. Here is an example of one who has fallen short of his understanding of God. One who is short-sighted. We preach to ourselves the verses that speak to God's faithfulness, and we weren't going to complain. Maybe that's something you want to, if you haven't started in your, um, or are using your theme notebook, maybe it's something you want to take is a character quality of God, and maybe that's it, faithfulness. And as you start looking for scripture that talks about his faithfulness, and you, just desiring to, you um, find yourself complaining, you go back and you remind yourself, Ah, oh, this is God's faithfulness. He's faithful when I'm unfaithful. We want to remind one another of truths as well when there is real need. God's <laughs> view of contentiousness is what that we are actually testing him. So God sees contention as though we are testing him. We're not believing that he's actually among us or that he cares for us or that he is at work for our good. We're not trusting God's goodness to us when we complain. That what we have at this moment is best for us. Blessings and difficulties both. It will do us good again to look at the cross always. God provided for our greatest need in salvation. And he will provide for us in every other way. No matter what. No exceptions. Ever. Because that's what he's promised. And God cannot deny himself. Well, life is hard. Circumstances can be really difficult. No matter what you and I face, we can be confident that they have passed through the loving hands of our Father. He loves us, and he's working all things together for our good and his glory. And his name is Elroy. He knows and he sees. Well, this same pattern shows up throughout Israel's 40 years of wandering to the near end. They've had 40 years of God's faithfulness to them, and yet they continue to be contentious. Proverbs reveals that contention is stirred up by anger. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. And a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger's quiets contention. And by arrogance, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. And contention is stirred up by gossip, for the lack of wood, the fire goes out, and when there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Contention also creates defensiveness. Contentions are like the bar of a citadel, it says in Proverbs 18:19. When a city was under attack, the people of the city would bar themselves in for protection. Well, this type of defensive action in our home actually brings division. There is contention, and one party hides away. You won't get to me, and so you withdraw. From one another. Who among us has not been hurt by words of another? Or who hasn't regretted something we've said to someone else? Well, John 1-1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He's the only hope for our words. Paul Tripp writes that speaking redemptively is all about choosing our words carefully. It's not just about the words we say, but also about the words we choose not to say. We refuse to let our talk be driven by passion and personal desire, but communicating instead with God's purpose in view. Are we prepared for that kind of all that sanctification will cost us? Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. It will cost an intense narrowing, narrowing of our interests on earth and an immense broadening of all of our interests in God. Sanctification means intense concentration on God's point of view. It means every power of body, soul, and spirit, chained and kept for God's purposes only. God's wise, redemptive purpose is to use our relationships as a work room for his ongoing work of sanctification in all of our relationships. Hearts will be exposed and changed as we come under him in submission to his words. We can trust him. He has promised to finish the work he has begun in us. Instead of demanding change in one another, we want to learn what it means to speak redemptively in the face of disappointment, of hurt and failure and sin, all common experiences to us in the fallen world. Think how much more like Christ and the church displayed in our marriages if we were more um, closely following this principle. What does it mean for us to choose our words, to speak redemptively, to forsake contention? Let's look at a couple passages that point us to the way of change. Where are we going? Galatians 5, 13 through 15. I have through 6, 2, um, just so that you have all of that before you if you want to go back and do some further study. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command Love your neighbor. As yourself, if you keep on fighting and devouring one another, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Are our relationships shaped by the rule of love? Are they showing forth the servant posture we're called to? We seek God to reveal how we could be used to encourage one another and support what God is doing in the life of another. We want to obey the Lord when he says, spur one another on toward loving good deeds. We make it our aim to look for ways to comfort one another, to encourage, to warn, and to teach the other person. It's important to view the difficulty before us as an opportunity to minister God's grace. We have a choice to make in this moment of disagreement or fear or whatever is before us with one another. We look to serve, not to be served. This builds up our home and builds up our body. It is here that this passage is particularly helpful because it tells that the opposite of serving in love is not a lack of love and a lack of service, but an active indulging of the sinful nature. Either I'm living as a servant of the Lord and accepting his call to serve those around me, or I'm living to gratify the cravings of the sinful nature and expecting others to satisfy those cravings as well. James 4, 1 and 2 explains our desires, how our desires affect the dynamic of a relationship. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something and you don't get it. So maybe right now I want my kids to obey and they're not. I can get angry because they're not fulfilling my desire, which is a good desire until I get angry, right? And then it reveals an idol. Or I can get up and care for them and direct them and train them and love them. So back to Galatians, verse 14. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We saw that. This also offers a significant insight. The problems in a relationship are not fundamentally horizontal. It's not between you and me, but fundamentally vertical person to God. If I'm living for God's glory, if I hold this as a more a personal goal than my own happiness, if my love for him stands above my love for anyone or anything else, including myself, then my particular goal in life will be to please God in everything I do and say whatever he puts before me. One sure fruit, fruit sorry, one sure fruit of a, such a hard commitment to God is that I will love my neighbor as myself. When a desire for a certain thing replaces love for God as the controlling force in my heart, the result will be conflict in my relationships. Conflict has vertical roots that produce the horizontal fruit of fighting and quarreling. Love for God that makes me want to keep his law will always result in practical love toward my husband, my child, my roommate, my parent, my friends. And finishing up, it says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. Communication is designed to build up, to strengthen, and to encourage, rather than being skilled in taking chunks out of one another. Words can be critical, condemning, manipulative, threatening, judgmental, selfish, malicious, demanding, ruthless, and vengeful. But remember, Jesus is the word, and those words do not glorify him if this describes our words we don't need a radical change in our vocabulary right as much as we need a radical change at the level of our heart this fundamentally changes how we speak to one another and the problem is not that we have problems the core issue is the way the desire of my heart dictates my response to one another in the midst of these problems when our hearts are not ruled by the love of by the law of love, but by the desires of the sinful nature. And when we look to have our own dreams and desires and demands fulfilled, we will become angry and disappointed with one another. And we will beat one another with words. might be good um, this week to go back to um, Tom Engstead's wheel uh, from Galatians 5. And going on in verse 16 through 18 so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there are no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Building up our home means refusing to speak in any way that is contrary to what the Spirit is seeking to produce in me and in you. We never want to obstruct what he is doing as, re- as the Redeemer in the little moments of life. We want to recognize that ultimately those moments don't belong to me, but they belong to him. They are the workroom in which he does his work of sanctification. My job is to be a usable instrument in his redeeming hands. Anytime I speak out of my own sinful desires, I'm communicating in a way that is contrary to what the Spirit is seeking to produce in me or in another. If I'm seeking to live consistently with the Spirit's work in me and not give room for the enemy... I must be willing to examine my talk with the mirror of the word of God. I want the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to him. And I know you do as well. So we daily bring ourselves bare before the word of God. And we can do that anytime throughout the day, right? The discipline of shepherding my heart is done all through the day and not just left for that quiet time in the morning. So I look for words of Envy and jealousy and pride is in my speaking. I look for words of dissension and division. I look for anger and rage and malice. I'm alert to words of selfishness or self-righteousness. I look for words that show evidence of impatience or irritation, a lack of forgiveness, unkindness, and a lack of gentleness. And I want to pay attention to my heart closely. Well, how do I respond? Why am I responding that way? What's going on in my heart? Digging deeper to see the root of where these words are coming. The cold shoulder or the not speaking but thinking wrong thoughts is just as damaging because all of those are rooted in the heart and rooted in self-love. I don't examine myself with morbid, discouraged attitudes of self-criticism. I do it with joy, realizing that because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, I don't have to live under the control of the sinful nature of these wrong words. With joy, I seek to please Him in every way, in every situation. I want to speak in a way that's worthy of the calling I have received. And I must say no to any rationalization or any blame-shifting or self-serving arguments that would excuse talk that is contrary to the Spirit. Speaking redemptively means speaking in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit means a commitment to speak in a way that is consistent with His work in me. And then encourages his work in you. In this passage, passage, the Spirit's work is made quite clear. He is working to produce in us a harvest consistent with the character of Christ. It's the uh, Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to look at difficult situations in my life as sovereignly given opportunities to see this fruit mature in me by his grace. Difficulties are not obstacles to the development of this fruit, but opportunities to see it grow. And if we can see it that way, that would be so helpful. I seek to give no place to the passions and desires of the sinful nature. In verses uh, 24, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Notice that this is not a passive passage. It says that when we come to Christ, we crucify the passions and desires of the sinful nature. This passage directs us to consider an aspect of the gospel. The gospel is a glorious message of comfort, Uh, Sins forgiven, condemnation lifted, relationship with God reconciled, spirit given, and eternity guaranteed. But the gospel is also a call to forsake living according to the cravings of the sinful nature, so that we might live to Christ. True salvation is not only about receiving comfort, it's about answering the call. This once and for all commitment to godly living, crucifying those passions and desires, must then be lived out in the, by the indwelling power of Christ in all of our relationships. I want, my, I want my speech to be out of a powerful self-control that God's given me. Our mouths have been redeemed to be instruments of righteousness. We can say no to emotions of the sinful desire. Gentleness should be a natural response when we see someone else in sin. We must recognize that, except for God's grace, we'd be right where they are, and we might be tomorrow. Thus, we should respond to them with the grace that we've received. God loved us when we were still sinners, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. He has forgiven us in the face of repeated sin. We are also free to be gentle because we have given up any hope that human pressure, power, or logic can change the heart. It is never in the loudness of my voice, the power of my words, the drama of the moment, the strength of our vocabulary that causes a turning within people. Gentleness flows from knowing where our power lies. God can use whispered words to produce thunderous conviction in my heart. Yes, we can think and speak well, but only because we want to be helpful to the one who can bring change, not because we trust our skills to produce it. Gentle talk does not come from a person who is angry and looking to settle the score. It comes from a person who is speaking not because of what he wants from you, but what he wants for you. And you and I build up our homes when we want what is best for others, the good I want for you. I'm able to speak gently when I am not speaking out of personal hurt or anger and bitterness, but out of self-sacrificing, redemptive love. I speak to you not because your sin has affected me, but because it has ensnared you. I long to see you free from its snare. I am not on a mission of selfish confrontation, but of loving rescue. And I know that in some ways, we all need this rescuing every day. This just shows how desperately we need God and his word continually. We must make this heart ready to respond this way, to always be pleasing to the Lord. But we must also remember our hope, not to be discouraged in our sin. God always gives hope. He is our hope. Let's turn to 1 Peter two twenty-four. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, the sin of immorality or idleness, contentiousness, harsh speaking, and live to righteousness, thankful, contented, peaceably. For his wounds we are healed. We've been forgiven. We've been made new. We are new creatures in Christ. Thinking on and praising the Lord for his character and for the gospel is another part of shepherding my heart throughout the day. The gospel helps me to move from a performance relationship with God to one based on the sinless life of Christ and a sin-bearing death. It reminds me that from God's point of view, my relationship is not based on how good or bad, how wise or foolish that I have been, but upon the perfect good work and death and resurrection of our Savior. The gospel frees me to to honestly face and acknowledge my sin, Ladies, if I don't see my sin or acknowledge it, I will not see my need for him and continue to trust in self-righteousness. The good news reminds me that God no longer counts that sin against me. Our loving Father is a kind master. Ladies, tearing down our home takes time, little by little here, little there, like the termites. Or sometimes it's a great damage coming quickly, the ruin, like a wrecking ball. Romans 12.2 tells us don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you are thinking thoughts consistent to the world's ways, like being annoyed or disappointed or prideful, we must renew our minds to think like Christ. That's what shepherding my heart looks like. Sin left unchecked or swept under the rug or in a hidden closet. Everything looks okay, but a fire is smoldering. It will soon erupt into a huge fire, and in an instant, a home is destroyed. Oh, for grace for us to be builders of our home and not demolition experts. Oh. On your outline, there are several uh, contrasts. I'm going to read through a couple, but they're there for you. Um, contrasts to help me evaluate, do my words build up or tear down? I frequently express um, gratitude for the benefits that I've received from God and others, Or I frequently grumble about having what I don't have or wanting what I don't have. I build others up with words of praise, appreciation, and admiration. Or I often hurt others with critical, belittling words. I'm quick to point out the failures of others. I think sarcasm can fit here. Words can build up and words can destroy. When we are wise with our words, we are placing our trust in God, confident in his faithfulness to work for his glory and our good as we obey. When he was reviled, it says in 1 Peter 2.23, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. We can trust him with our obedience. We fight the sin of contention by remembering God's character. He can only ever be kind and good. God cannot deny himself. We must always think the best. Love hopes all things. We don't under, un- underestimate our own sinfulness. 1 Timothy 1.15 It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. We want to cultivate a heart of thankfulness. Look around you and give thanks in all the things for this is his will in Christ Jesus. Continue to look for scripture that instructs your heart in honoring speech. Well, there are lots of other ways in scriptures that we can build up our homes, but today we focus on the tongue and how they reveal what is in our hearts. Martin Luther, there's an encouragement at the end, because you say I'm a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. I fly to God who has given himself for my sin. Therefore, Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by telling me how great my sins are. On the contrary, when you say I'm a sinner, you give me armor and weapon against yourself. For Christ died for sinners. You do not terrify me, but comfort me immeasurably. We can be women who, who speak redemptively. Christ has equipped us to speak and to build up. The gospel is a call to forsake living according to the cravings of the sinful nature so that we might live for Christ. And we seek to do this to please our Father and to adorn the gospel. Let us pursue Christ diligently that we might Be wise women whose affections are for him, whose service is for him, and whose trust is in him, who is our Savior and our King, so that our homes might be built up for his glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, let our homes be a place where you do your greatest work of showing forth what the gospel has done. And Lord, we fail, we fall short daily. Lord, we do not lose hope, we do not get discouraged, but Lord, we look to you and we are reminded of all that you have done for us, that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, that it's been your kindness that has led us to to, um, repentance, and Lord, we rejoice. We desire to follow you, our hearts um, are ever before you, my sin is ever before me, and thank you that you have triumphed over it. I pray, Lord, that we would be women who are wise in our walk, that we might display, we might adorn the gospel of Christ. We thank you for the time this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes it known to us, your thoughts. Lord, we give and are so thankful for so many wonderful things that you've given, so many gifts. Thank you for these women and just for not leaving us alone, that you've given us the Holy Spirit and you've given us sisters in Christ to encourage us toward you. Thank you again for the morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.